Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, bodybuilder, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today, I have the great honor of being joined by John Meadows himself. He's a world-renowned bodybuilder and coach. I'm sure I don't need to introduce him. You guys all know who he is. And uh, But quickly, he has 18 uh, bodybuilding show wins and has been training, uh, competing since the age of 13. And he's a, a wealth of knowledge and i'm really hoping we can get into some of your wisdom john uh over today's episode thanks all for coming right on. you betcha man my pleasure yeah so as you guys might know if you've been following john on youtube he's there's been uh quite a bit of action going on recently as he had uh, what sounds like a heart attack um and uh i'm really glad that uh, you're here and doing well well with us when i first saw that i i just had this yeah like it was just this sinking feeling seeing that video title and just jumping on and clicking and 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 thinking to myself that you know there's so much more knowledge that we need we need to hear from you so really glad that uh you're doing well yeah i had a sinking feeling when it was happening too (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I just I just want to touch base in terms of that. What's what's going on from the medical side at this point? So I was a STEMI, and um, wow, I they they took me in and the, they took me straight into the cath unit, and you know I got the little scar on my wrist now where they did the cath, and he said I had a blood clot blocking my you know left descend or left descending artery, right, the big boy. Um, yeah, was 100% blocked, and then one of the branches of that was blocked. So, um, long story short, he he put me on an IV of heparin, which it took about. Um, I went in on a Monday, like at two or three o'clock, and then was in severe pain. And then Tuesday night, probably about seven or eight o'clock, the um, I noticed the pain was much much better. It wasn't as bad. So Wednesday, I went back into the cath unit, and they did the same thing. And he said, well, good news. The the large blockage is gone. It's dissolved. And the, the smaller one is still there, but we think we can that'll dissolve too eventually with the, with the heparin. So um, that was on a Tuesday night. So Wednesday, I felt pretty good. I was in ICU on Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I um, was put in the step-down unit. And then um, uh, Thursday morning, they took in, I, I got a trans- transesophageal electrocardiogram. So they, you know, they, you know, all this stuff. So they looked at my heart and they said, well, it's normal size. You have very little, if any, plaque. You've got like a tiny bit on your aorta, which is normal for somebody your age. Um we just, you know, we don't really see anything unusual. In fact, your heart looks really good. So now it's just a matter of trying to get my ejection fraction back, get function back, which is going to take some time. I was put on kind of the standard medicines, you know, a calcium channel blocker, beta blocker, ACE inhibitor. Um, we've already dropped the calcium channel blocker. Today is actually 30 days since it happened. And um, I do get a little bit low blood pressure um, from the medications. I feel like it's probably too much, but I'm going to listen to the cardiologist. I said I would listen, so I'm going to yeah. listen. But my blood pressure, like this morning, was like 105 over 73 or something like that. 
So I get a little bit lightheaded, but since I dropped the calcium channel blocker, I feel a million times better. I think once we get rid of the beta blocker, I'll pretty much be back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, um, they've, you know, it was a blood clot and they didn't really give me a good reason on why it happened or, you know, everybody wants to know why. I, like, I don't know. I mean, I, if I knew, I'd tell you because I, I would like to say help save some people, but I don't really know. And um, I'm, I'm going to get some special blood work done that looks for arterial um, issues, thrombosis type issues. So I'm trying to think what they're called. Yeah, they're, like they're doing a, a, is it a hypercoagulable workup? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've had it done on my veins before because 2005, I had a blood clot too in my colon and sigmoid part of my colon. So they did the factor five, the factor five lane yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, so I did that whole workup, but that was mm-hmm. more on veins. So now they're going to do one on arteries. Um, so there's, uh, there's what a, a loop there's, um, um, I mean, there's a, there's a lupus one and there's a moofer or mo- mother or I'd have to look at the list, but there's like five of them. So mm-hmm. we still got to do that. But, you know, I'm kind of um, back in business now. Um, I've been training for two weeks now. I'm going easy. I'm not going hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel pretty good. So, you know, life is good. Yeah. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, yeah, from the sounds of it, that was a like a really bad um, clot you had. So. It's yeah, really it, good that you got it. it early. Yeah, like people you die know, from that. I don't know if you, you see this or not, but, you know, when this all happened to me, I was thinking, I called the ambulance probably about, I would say, 15 minutes after I knew something really bad was wrong. They take, probably took another 10, 15 minutes to get there. Then to get me to the hospital was probably 30 minutes. So I probably got there in about 60 minutes. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about guys in particular, because, you know, we're stubborn. I was thinking about how many guys in my situation would have just said, I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to sleep it off. And then they die, you know, which is what would have happened to me, I'm pretty sure, based on the pain I was in, the fact that breathing was getting really, really challenging. I just think, man, I bet you there's a lot of guys out there that probably could have survived that they just would have, when something felt off, would have called for help. And I knew something was wrong and I thought, well, what do I have to lose? I mean, if I go in the hospital and they tell me nothing's wrong, then I'm no loss for me. But if something really bad is happening, it could save me. So that's kind of what my thought process was. And, um, and sure enough, when they got there, they hooked the EKG up and everything. And I asked the guy what's going on. He said, you're having a heart attack. So I was like, all right, well, okay. So let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really good that you, you called right away. And I mean, from the other side of, of things, I was uh, just on ICU, and I mean, we see a lot of the, our patients would be the ones who actually like died, and um, I mean, and then they achieve, you know, return of circulation with CPR at the scene, and but I mean, they all comes with that are much, much, much worse. So yeah, so yeah, yeah so yeah, I would definitely. Um, uh, encourage people to err on the safe side. You know, if people are having some sort of unusual pain, um, not just sitting on things. Yeah. Yeah. Mine came on strong too, man. I was, it felt like I had a bruised sternum, like right in my sternum. I was like, man, this hurts. And then, uh, 
maybe two minutes later, I was I noticed I was having a hard time breathing, and that's like, okay, something's wrong here. So, but um, yeah, I mean, I feel I feel good now. I uh, I feel like I got real good care taken of me, and I've, I probably should have been on blood thinners probably since 2005, really, when I had the other problem. But you know, it's hindsight, right? So you know, everybody's got all their theories about on the internet and everybody thinks they've got this all figured out. I've got 50 people telling me to change my diet. And I'm like, you know, I, um, I've always been very careful with my diet and you, you missed the part about me talking about not having any plaque. I actually, two or three years ago, actually had a calcium score test done. Like I'm, I'm, I, I try to stay ahead of this stuff. And I think that's part of what's so frustrating is I put so much effort into being healthy and, and try to do the right things. And then something like this happens and it's just like, man, you know, what am I even doing? I, I might as well just go to McDonald's and live there like everybody else does. And they live until they're 90. <laughs> so <laughs> that's probably not a good attitude to have. So I'm going to, I'm not going to take that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we don't know really what happened. And I mean, from the sounds, but if considering your, the rest of your, uh, you know, calcium burden and that is okay. I, yeah, I don't think this, it would necessarily be something that you've been doing wrong. Yeah. So we'll see, man, but Onward and upward. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, switching gears, moving over to sort of the the training uh, uh, world of things. I just wanted to um, maybe have you start off and talking, giving us a little uh, whirlwind tour of your training career and sort of the different styles of training you went through. Well, you know, I'm 48 years old now. I started when I was 13. And when I started we pretty much, the only thing we had was magazines and there were a few books out on bodybuilding, um, but it was mostly magazines. And the main one we had was Muscle and Fitness. There were other magazines, but that was kind of the main one that we used. And I was, um, you know, basically what I would do was I would open up Muscle and Fitness and I would see, you know, what's Lee Haney doing for his back? You know, what's Tom Platt's doing for his legs? What's Sergio Oliva doing for his arms? And and I would just do what the magazine said. So, um, and then I would go to the kinesiology section and I would look at all the origins and insertions of the muscles and, okay, what does this work and what does this work? And I was kind of obsessed with that kinesiology section. Um, but, you know, I remember when I was 14, 15 years old, I knew all the muscles in the hamstring, semitendinosus, membranosus, bicystomorphs, all that stuff. Like I was ob- obsessed with that stuff, all the, the nerve innervations, everything. Um, so I had this deep desire to learn muscle function and, and, um, I didn't really understand how to put programs together at that age. Obviously, um, I just wanted to just train hard. What I did have is I had um, a pretty crazy work ethic. You know, I was in, I'll give you an example, like in junior high school, I would never take my study halls. I would always get a pass to go to the gym and I would literally run around the gym uh, and and because I was a wrestler and I was in football and I was in track. Um, or I would get a pass to go to the little teeny weight room we had with all the Nautilus equipment and I would work out. So I was very, very, um, I was just born with this desire to work really hard. And, you know, there was only one other kid in school that was like that. So he, he would join me sometimes. He wasn't as crazy as I was, but um, I worked really, really hard. And, you know, I basically trained just from stuff that was in the magazines for many, many years. Um, hmm. 
I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I was probably 16, 17 years old. I went to my first seminar. It was a Tom Platt seminar. And I was in the front row of the seminar. It was the grand opening for World Gym East, which became eventually my gym I would go to. Um, but I remember he was talking about Golgi tendon organs and sarcoplasmic reticulum, all this stuff. And I was like, man, this guy's really smart. You know, mm-hmm. he was very well educated. So I was just very hungry to learn physiology as well and all this stuff. So I really was um, focused on educating myself as much as I could. And even in junior high school, senior high school. And when I got to college, I remember I took anatomy, physiology, um, physiology of exercise and kinesiology and something else. I remember I took it all the same semester and they were like, no, nah, that's crazy. You're going to fail. That's too, that's too much. And those classes were a breeze for me. Like, they were a breeze. I didn't, I didn't even study for kinesiology. It was so easy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just really loved that stuff. So, you know, I was training really hard with not a lot of direction and I, I ended up started starting to train at that world gym and I had some people kind of take me in, you know, and kind of mentor me. And they were back then, these guys were powerlifters and bodybuilders. Like there was a large population that did both competitively. Mm-hmm. Um, there was certainly some bodybuilders and some just powerlifters, but there were a lot of guys in that gym that did both. And so these guys took me under their wing and they um, really am impressed the basics upon me i had never done a deadlift actually in my life until i trained at that gym and i was at that point i was probably uh 21 years old so i had never even done a deadlift the the gym i grew up in was a tiny gym like we had two benches a dumbbell rack a lat pull down um a cable pulley system and I don't know that we had much more than that. And I was winning men's bodybuilding shows, training in that little gym. Oh, yeah. Um, and then um, I would sometimes train at the school I went to, too, at college. They had a little bit better weight room. Wasn't that much better. But so I had a very, like, limited repertoire of the stuff I did. Um, but it worked because I was working hard. But anyway, so these guys got me deadlifting. They got me, um, I was already a really good squatter, but when I was in high school, I squatted 500 pounds natural. So I was, I was obsessed with Tom Platts. Like I wanted to look like him. Mm-hmm. So I was pounding my legs. Like I would, the only guys that would train me at the gym would be the older guys. Cause anybody younger didn't want any part of my leg workouts. I was, I was going really hard. I mean, I was in high school, leg press on a thousand pounds and my upper body was really weak but my legs are really strong. Um, So anyways, I started training with this powerlifting style and, um, and, and I started noticing some, like I was having injuries that were, weren't real serious, but I could tell they could be serious. I started, for example, you know, I was benching first in my workouts, you know, doing barbell bench presses Mm -hmm. and I started getting pulls all the time. And then I had somewhere I actually got black and blue. I was like, man, I'm, I think I'm really close to a pec tear. Um, I started having some problems with my elbows. Um, I remember my elbows were hurting so bad because when I was squatting, I was a high bar squatter, right? Right here. And I was a, I had a very vertical back spine. Mm-hmm. And um, 
when I was powerlifting, they were moving the bar down my back. I was doing more what you'd see a power powerlifter would squat, but it was torquing my elbows, right? So my, I don't know if it was my ulnar collateral ligaments. I don't know what ligaments it was, but my elbows were fried. They were in really bad pain. So, you know, at the time I was still in my early twenties and I thought I got to make some changes to my training or I'm, I'm not even gonna make it to 30 years old. I'm got tears all over. So I started thinking about exercise sequence and I don't think people even now put any kind of thought into it. And I think it really does a disservice to their training. I started noticing that there's a health perspective. So if you do a bench press second, for example, instead of first, mm-hmm. you're going to be much more warmed up. Um, you know, assuming you're doing a, a, a good exercise that you feel well first, you're probably going to target your pecs a lot better in the second exercise. Um, I just noticed that I started changing kind of the sequence of what I was doing. It's like, man, my, my joints feel better now. I'm not getting hurt. And, and man, I'm growing better. Like, I think I'm actually targeting the muscle better instead of placing so much stress on connective tissue. So I started incorporating some things that originally I did out of long, out of, you know, more of a longevity uh, perspective, but I actually started growing more and it was, it was pretty cool. So I didn't really understand volume or or fatigue or any of that stuff. It was just go all out, smash yourself. Mm -hmm. And then when you're ready to smash it again, smash it again. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people like to laugh at that. And I do. I kind of like to laugh at it myself. But I'll say this. I don't regret that one bit because... I put in the work and was I overdoing it sometimes? Absolutely. But I put in the work and I made really good progress and you can get away with that when you're younger, you know, and I was eating a lot of calories. I'm not going to say my diet was really good, but in terms of calories, it was pretty good. I don't know about nutrient density, but you know, when you're eating cherry pies and bags of potato chips, calories, it's good calorie wise, but maybe not nutrient wise. But, um, so I had this base of my foundational philosophy, which is freaking go in there and light it up, tear, tear it up. Mm-hmm. And it served me well, you know, and then I got a little bit older and it's like, okay, well, my recovery is not quite what it used to be. I had a period of time where I stopped growing and I had to really reevaluate my training. I had to think about it. You know, um, I went for many, many years and didn't grow a lick. So I, I reached to what I thought might have been my genetic potential. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty disappointed because I was only in my 30s. And I was like, man, I'm, this is the best. This is as good as I'm going to get. It was pretty disappointing. So I sat down and I just said, my training is not working anymore. I've got I've to really honestly take a look at my training and evaluate what I'm doing because it's not working. I'm, I mean, I'm maintaining fine, but I'm not getting any better. So I looked at the different aspects of training. I looked at intensity, you know, am I training hard enough? Am I doing enough hard sets? Absolutely. Not an issue there. Um, Am I doing the right exercises, you know, based on how well I'm feeling the exercises, um, probably doing the right exercises. And I was never married to any exercises. I was always I was always able to, if something didn't feel like it was working, kick it out, put another exercise in that I like better. I necessarily think that was the issue. And then I started thinking about frequency. It's like, well, you know, you've been training basically a body part 
I was doing the bro split, you know, legs on Saturday, chest on Monday, back on Tuesday. You know, I, that's how I was training. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as the opportunity that I hadn't maximized. Like, you know, I'm only stimulating the muscle once a week. That's only four times in a month. So I began to experiment with the training frequency. And initially it was, okay, whatever I'm doing on Monday for chest, I'm going to do it again on Thursday or Friday. And it didn't work. I couldn't handle that level of intensity twice a week on a body part. You know, when you mm-hmm. annihilate your legs on Saturday, they may, they may not be ready to go again on Wednesday, mm-hmm. you know? So it didn't work out well. So then I looked at the workouts itself. Okay, what do I need to do different? Well, maybe that second workout, maybe I can take out the barbell stuff that's causing a lot of connective tissue issues. Maybe I can go maybe a little bit lighter and focus more on higher rep sets, just something where there's less stress on my joints, what have you. So I began to do that on the second day. So, so in other words, let's say on Monday, I did my normal chest workout. Then on Thursday or Friday, it would be modified. There'd be no barbell pressing. Um, you know, the six to 10 rep range might become an eight to 15 rep range. Um, and boom, all of a sudden it started working and I could recover. Um, I also changed my theories around, around intra-workout nutrition, which I'm very passionate about. And I started including intra-workout nutrition, which I think made a massive difference. And I mean, if I take out my intra-workout nutrition now, I get 10 times as sore as when I don't use it. So I, I revamped my intra-workout nutrition and I revamped my training strategy so that, you know, my my base workouts would be an exercise that I would start with to establish mind muscle connection. You know, we know now that, um, it's, it's real and it's very important. We've seen a lot of Brad Schoenfeld's work and other, many other people's work in that area that mind muscle connection is actually good for activation. Mm-hmm. Once I had the right exercises for body parts and then I could hit them with a compound movement safely, more of the heavier powerlifting type movements, you know, trying to move weight, trying to get that actin myosin, um, you know, those, those bridges, established so you have mechanical tension going to drive some growth and then and then once i got the heavy stuff out of the way then i would start incorporating more of like blood flow work so like you know maybe some supersets or maybe a drop set or something to just really engorge the muscle with blood um you know they call that metabolic training now but for me it was just it was more about the pump and really trying to get the skin so that the cell swelling aspect to just really maximize that and then the fourth exercise would always be something that created a really good stretch. So almost an extreme range of motion. Um, you know, like if you're doing hamstrings, it would be like a stiff like a deadlift. If you're doing chest, you know, it'd be like a pec uh, deck, you know, something where you could really elongate your pecs. So that combination started working. I formalized it and it worked fantastic. And then what I would do, the second workout is I would take out the compound stuff. So I'd still do the mind muscle exercise. I'd still do the pump work and I'd still do the stretch work. And I found that I was recovering awesome. And in a period of a year, I think I put on eight pounds of muscle, which at that point for me was incredible, you know, because for five, six years, I hadn't gained a lick. I hadn't gained a pound of muscle. So now all of a sudden I revamped my intra-workout nutrition. I revamped my training programs. And then, um, and then you know, okay, okay, I got the right system in place. Um, then it becomes, okay, now how exactly do you – program the intensity into it so i had to find that which would work well for me so how many sets are you going to do 
Mm-hmm. How many of those sets are going to be to failure? What exercises are going to be to failure? Are you going to squat to failure? Probably not a good idea. It's probably that's probably a good way to get injured. But what about a leg extension? Can you do that to failure? Absolutely, you can. So it became picking the right exercises, you know, for that phase in the workout. Mm-hmm. And then how many sets can you go really hard on and recover from? So, you know, now all of a sudden you know, maybe instead of doing five drop sets in a workout, maybe I only do two. Maybe I do one on the third exercise and one on the fourth exercise. So I started fine tuning all that stuff. Now it worked for me, but you know, all this time I'm coaching hundreds and hundreds of people. So we're making, you know, the ba- the baseline, the, the kind of the basic principles was working for just about everybody. You know, we would fine tune a little bit in some cases. Okay. You know, you, I want you to pull down a set or two, you, okay, you can handle a little more volume. Cause at the end of the day, the principle of individuality rules, we're all a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual fundamentals part of what I was doing was working really well. And that's really what got so many people doing my training programs is it was very structured, you know, and the, and you know, they may not like all the exercises I like, but they understood the concept. So it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that exercise. Cause I like this one. It works better but understand what he's trying to do so I can simulate that. Or I don't have this piece of equipment. Maybe I don't have a hack squat, so I can do this exercise instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's changed a lot over the years. And, um, you know, there's a lot of considerations when you work with someone on um, how well they can recover, how much intensity can they take. Some people can handle a lot of intensity. Some people can't handle very much. Are they natural? Are they not natural? There's a lot of factors that play into that. But, you know, it's um, my my if I were to just do a 10,000 foot view, I'd say my training went from all out nuts, crazy as hard as I can to to structuring it a little more intelligently so I don't kill myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that's uh, really interesting to hear. And I think um, a lot of I mean, a lot of. us like science science-based bodybuilder uh, types like will uh sort of dismiss a lot of the the old bodybuilder techniques but i've my, my theory is that i think a lot of these things like what you talk about with the exercise sequencing and even incorporating more uh intensity techniques things like the metabolite type work is is almost a more so a way to fit in training in a way that is sustainable and um it just minimizes connective tissue stress. And I think that um, things change a lot as as people become more advanced. And there's a big difference between squatting two plates versus squatting five plates. Um, and I think that I suspect that a lot of these things actually do hold merit in certain and they just need to be applied, you know, in the right context. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 real good friends with Brad Schoenfeld and you know, we talk about this stuff all the time. And Scott Stevenson's another really good friend of mine. We, Scott actually helped helped me build. Um, um, it was an ebook that covered the principles, the things we're talking about. And we had, I don't know, 250 some references. On, you know, once we sat down and thought about it, okay, here's why I'm doing this. Are there references to support? Yeah, there's tons. And okay, now we do this. I mean, it. I think what I do is is actually very scientifically driven. Um, I just kind of backed into it. I didn't, you know, first of all, the research back in the 90s wasn't as complete as it is now. Um, but, 
you know, there's 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 a couple sides of the scientific argument. There's in some cases the science is just it's not caught up. And it's not a bad thing. It's just I, I never get mad at that. You know, some people are like, well, the science, they're not studying this or that. I'm like, well, how can you expect them to? How many, how do you think, how, how easy is it for them to get 30 people who have trained for 15 years to follow a perfect, uh, you know, isochloric diet where they all do the exact same drop set? I mean, that is, that stuff's not easy to pull off. Um, you know, if yeah. you look at like, in the, like I do a lot of training with athletes too. And you think about um, cluster training is a good example. So cluster training is, you know, you're using a pretty heavy weight, but you're only doing perfect reps with it. You're not fatigued at all. Instead of doing like a set of five, you might do, say, nine singles, but you just rest in between the reps. So you keep doing these repetitive, perfect reps. And, you know, I think, you know, recently all of a sudden, well, maybe in the last 10, 20 years, everybody's talking about in the athletic community, oh, man, this cluster training is awesome. I'm like, this cluster training goes back to the 60s and 50s. Like the Soviets were doing this. This is not new stuff. The the the, the athletes figured this out. The, the coaches figured this. Charlie Francis, one of the best sprinting coaches of all time, man, he was 30 years ahead of science, the things that he was doing. But what I'm really happy about nowadays is you got guys like Brad Schoenfeld, who actually is testing out a lot of this stuff. And, and Brad's fantastic. And so now you're seeing the scientific community and then the meatheads like me, like we're coming together and like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. This, you know, all these discussions on volume, um, I think are really good discussions. They're, you know, all these different volume studies and, you know, and I know Mike Israel very involved in that too, but um, so I'm super happy with the scientific community right now. I think they're doing as about as good of a job as they can. I mean, it would be nice if we just had unlimited funds and we could just set out these million different studies, but it's just not how it works. You know, so, um, yeah, I think I think we're moving in the right direction um, together. You know, I think I think 10 years ago you'd have a divide. You'd say meatheads would say, what's a what's a guy in a white lab coat? What does he know about building muscle? And a guy in a white lab coat might say, well, he's just a meathead. He's just getting here because of luck. But I don't see that now. I don't see the divide. I think now people are coming together. They're working together. I do a lot of seminars with PhDs and to be honest with you, a lot of us are saying the same thing. You know, there's more, there's more consistency with what we're saying than there are differences in what we're saying. I think all of us pretty much are thinking you need those really hard, intense sets. You just got to make sure you're doing the right amount of them. Um, it's not 20 drop sets. It might be two in a, in a, in a day. Um, I think we, we're all thinking, you know, volume-wise, you know, well, as you as you progress from a beginner to an advanced stage, it's probably something like 10 to 20 sets a week for a body part. And then maybe on the upper end of that, some people can do 22, 24 sets a week, you know. I think we're all kind of starting to say and see the same things right now. So it's, I think it's a pretty good time in our industry. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really exciting, actually. Um so, yeah, I just wanted to ask, sort of touch on some of the training variables that I think will uh, you'll um, be able to shed some light on just with with all your experience. Um, what are what are you, what's your view on the best metrics to um, gauge progress? Like, how do you usually uh, monitor progress? Well, it depends on what your goal is. If your goal mm -hmm. is to look good, the best tool is honestly the mirror. 
mm-hmm. you know, um, if your goal is to get stronger, it's how much weight you're lifting. It, it depends on what, if you're trying to improve your health, maybe it's your lipid panel, maybe it's your, maybe it's your C-reactive protein, you know, it can be a number of different things. It de- so it depends on what your goal is. Yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah. Say like we're focusing on hypertrophy and let's say we're talking about natural lifters who, um, at a certain level might be making progress, you know, make, might be making visual progress at, at a very slow rate, you know, but, uh, like yeah, what, do you, so, what do you use from week to week? I, so first of all, I got a lot of love for the natural community and a lot of my videos on YouTube, I'll point out the natural aspect of it. Um, I trained natural for many, many, many years. And I think as a natural, there's some kind of misinformation out there. And I think the biggest problem that I see out there is anytime somebody does something hard, you'll see guys go, well, I'm natural. I can't do that. That's training too hard. That's bull. That's malarkey. (laughs) Um, You may not be able to do every set that hard, but think about this. I'm big on common sense. I'm big on logical thinking. Who grows easier? Somebody on gear or somebody who's natural? I mean, who grows easier? It's the guy on gear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a constant 24-7 ramped up protein synthesis. It's anti-catabolic. They've got all these things going for them. So for you to be natural um, and think that you need to go easier makes it's complete nonsense. Like, no, you got to actually go really hard because it's harder for you to grow. You've just got to be smart about it. You just got to have a measured approach. So what do I mean by that? So um, I think in the natural community, you know, let's take a look at several things. So first of all, you don't have 24 by seven ramped up protein synthesis like somebody has when they're enhanced, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you look at the literature, basically it says 24 to 48 hours, sometimes a little bit more is how long a muscle is. The protein synthesis is ramped up that muscle. So if you train chest on Monday, waiting till the following Monday, it's probably not a good idea for a natural guy, you know? Um, so you've got to build your, your, your training so that, you, you know, you've got a little more frequency. I'm a big believer in that for natural. So if you train on Monday, you need to be ready to do your chest again on Thursday or Friday. So you've got to build your training to allow you to do that. So what you have to do is you've got to set it up so that you're recovered because I don't care what your split is the number one thing when you train a muscle again is it needs to be recovered. If a muscle's not recovered, you're going to have a suboptimal session. You're going to have muscle fibers that aren't repaired, so you can't produce as much force. You're just not going to be able to train as well because you're going to be sore. You have to recover. If you keep training when you're sore, you eventually will hit a state of overtraining. So you have to be recovered. So now let's say you do 12 sets for chest, and then on Thursday or Friday, it still doesn't feel it's recovered. Okay, now maybe we need to do eight sets for chest then. Maybe we need to pull back. Or maybe you do four sets to failure and your chest isn't recovered. So, okay, maybe we need to do two sets. So you need to look at your training parameters and adjust them so that you have an awesome workout and you're recovered for the next workout. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think your question is a little bit more finer detail. So how do you know you're doing it right? Well, of course you got progressive overload. We all know that. If you get stronger, Chances are your muscle fiber is going to get a little thicker. And, hey, I'm 100% behind that. That's why I like that second phase that I was talking about earlier in that phased approach I use. That second phase, you take a basic exercise. But it doesn't need to be just that exercise. It can be any exercise. Like people think, well, my bench squat and my deadlift. Well, what about your dumbbell press for chest? 
if you do 90 pounds for, for five, and then the next week you do it for seven, that's good. You made, you know, you provided your form as equal, then that's good. So more reps, more weight, those things are all good. The trick is and the, where people get stuck is what do you do when you can't get stronger? Because every single one of us hit a phase where we just can't get any stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a natural, you're probably going to hit that sooner than somebody who's enhanced. So what do you do when you can't get any stronger? Your bench press is up to 380 pounds and it just won't get any stronger no matter what you do, because we all hit that. Can you continue to grow without getting stronger? You absolutely can. You absolutely can. In fact, I'll tell you this, think logically. So I trained with Westside Barbell with the strongest powerlifters in the world in the mid nineties. Some of the guys were massive. They were big dudes. Chuck Vogelpool looked like a big bodybuilder and he was squatting over a thousand pounds. I mean, he was massive. There were other dudes. Um, one of the guys I trained with was in the 181 pound class. He was benching over 500 pounds as a 181er. Okay. If you saw him on the street, you'd think, you know, he, maybe he lifts weights, but he wasn't really big. So, you know, strength is not the end all be all. I've seen so many guys that had incredible strength Part of that was genetic. Part of it was their rep ranges. Um, but they didn't really get big. And then I've seen a lot of guys who got massive who maybe didn't necessarily get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I was one of those guys myself. I, I was I was up around 800 pounds squatting when I was in my mid-20s. You know, my legs actually got their biggest when I was closer to 40 years old. So like 15 years later. And I couldn't squat you know, I wasn't doing 785 again, you know, now I was back down to maybe 500 for a set of, you know, eight at that point, you know, as I've gotten older. But at the end of the day, there's, there's three things I think you got to look at. You got to look at activation. So a lot of people think as long as you activate the muscle, you stimulate protein synthesis, you're good to go. No, you're not good to go. It's just a good starting point. Activation, you can achieve activation through different methods. You can train move the bar fast and create a lot of activation. You can use heavy weight and create a lot of activation, but you need mechanical tension. And that's where number two comes in. So you've got to use a weight that's heavy enough that creates a slower bar speed where you're not, the bar's not flying out of your hands or you actually got to work for reps. And, you know, if you, all that, all the basic muscle building stuff, the actin mice and the thin and thick filaments and the, um, the bridging that occurs and the mechanical tension, that's what really, drives a lot of muscle growth as well. So you've got to use some reps. And this is why I think powerlifters, some are real big and some aren't. I think the guys that are doing the doubles and triples and sets of four, they tend to not be the bigger guy. Whereas the guys doing the fives, the sevens, the eights, the tens do tend to be the bigger guys. And I think that's a direct result of mechanical tension, a little bit more tension. Um, so is it just enough to do heavy weight and to act and to, 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 um, get good activation. I think there's a third phase in here, and this becomes really important for naturals and advanced people, especially when you can't get any stronger, and that's exhausting muscle fibers. So now you got to push the muscle fibers to exhaustion. You got to, you got to force them to adapt. You got to make them do something like you can't just do the same weight over and over the same reps over and over. You have to find ways. And this is where the high intensity techniques come into play. When you learn how to use cluster sets, the way bodybuilders do them, when you learn how to you know, maybe you do eight reps, but then you drop the weight and you do another four reps. Then you drop the weight and do another three or four reps. Those will 
get you maximum activation, maximum uh, loading tension, and then also exhausting the muscle fibers, really making them work. And so I think as a natural, like you got to work on that base, getting stronger, getting more reps. And eventually you're going to hit a point where it's like, okay, I can't really get any stronger. So now you got to start thinking about a little bit of actually adding in the high intensity techniques. So when your third exercise, maybe, maybe you throw in a cluster set, maybe you throw in a drop set and, you know, the research on that stuff is kind of, there's no, there's, there is research on it, but I don't particularly like the way the studies were set up. Um, but I think that those things, you mentioned metabolites, that's a part of it. You know, Brad, used, we used to always talk about um, when you get that cell swelling, the cell membrane maybe perceives a threat from the from this, this extreme stretch on the muscle fiber. So it turns, ramps up protein synthesis. So there's all kinds of theories as to why that stuff could happen or could help. I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like training like that definitely helps people get through plateaus. They may not get stronger, but they'll continue to get bigger. Um, you know, so, so I think, you know, you got to plan stuff really well as a natural, you know, you got to work on first, you got to find exercises that work well for you, you know, like you may not be built to squat and it's blasphemy to tell somebody to not to squat and squats are actually my favorite exercise, but I'm built to squat. Some people aren't necessarily built to squat with good range of motion, you know, their spinal length or femur length, those things all come into play but they may be built just fine to do a good leg press. So now they get a little bit more range of motion. It feels more comfortable. It's less stress on their back. It's more stress on their legs. So you got to find exercises that work for you. Don't do exercises just because you see Joe and Bob on Instagram always doing one particular exercise. Like that, that doesn't mean it's good for you. And then, you know, work on building your strength, work on perfecting your form, perfect form. I'm a stickler on form. Um, per- perfect your form get stronger, get more reps. And then as you get more advanced, start to challenge yourself, start to really push, you know, you and never know where the line is until you cross a little. I love to say that. I love to say that because I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. You know, I've had so many people come here to train with me and then they're, and then they'll do a set and they'll look at me and they'll go, I had no idea I could do that. No idea. But if you have somebody pushing you to do something you've never done before, it kind of opens your eyes. Like there's this whole nother universe out there, things that you can do and you just don't know it. And that's how I was too. And, you know, I was influenced by Tom Platts. And if you know his training history, he was crazy. He was doing things that were out of his mind. So I wanted to do that. I want to be out of my mind. And I took a certain measure of pride in knowing that I could push myself to levels that I didn't think other people could do. There was always a little bit of ego in me that said, nobody else has done that. Like I would do... 900 pounds on leg press, I'd, I'd say, okay, I'm going to do 20. No, I'm going to do 40. So I'd do 20, I'd breathe, I'd do two or three more, I'd breathe. I'd do, I wouldn't stop till I did 40 reps. And let me tell you, that hurt. It hurt really bad. Yeah. Um, but I like to do stuff like that. Did I go overboard sometimes? Of course I did. But again, you never know what you're capable of until you really, really push. So I just think people leave too much in the tank. And then the natural guys, like I'm mentioning, they need to do that too. They just got to be measured in their approach. You know, maybe it's the last set you do with the workout that you unleash, you know, so just some thoughts for you. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, um, I, I, I would actually say that my training style is overall a pretty high intensity one as well. And I do use, uh, like drop sets and those kinds of things. Um, that is actually a really interesting topic that I want to touch on more. And 
in where you talk about what to do when people stop getting stronger. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure that there's, there are a lot of different ways to go about it through like auto regulation, but say for someone who's a very, you know, analytical person who likes to track things, is, is there a way that you track progress with, with the addition of this exhaustion sort of phase? With the training, like you, you'd actually track improvements in your drop sets or intensity techniques. Well, um, <laughs> I like to track my improvements by using measuring tape. <laughs> Is my arm better yeah. or not? Um, yeah. I, it's not so important to track. What matters there is the intensity. It's it's how much are you pushing the muscle. That's now if you want to do say drop sets. Let's let's say you're doing um. Let's say you're doing a leg press and let's say you're, it's your last exercise and you want to do a drop set. So let's say you do seven plates for eight reps and then you do five plates for eight reps. Now you could very easily the next week say, okay, I got eight reps for the first time. So I'm going to try nine reps this time. Or on the second drop, you could say, okay, I'm going to do a few more reps. You know, there's ways that you could push yourself harder, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do something, you know, that's a little higher rep that's a result of clusters or drops that continue this set. So let me give me let me give you another example. Say you're done your chest. Say you're on a really cool chest machine. Your last set normally is with 150 pounds, you can do it eight times. Well, what if you did 150 pounds six times? Then you count it to 20 and you get another three or four reps. And then you counted the 20 and then you did another three or four reps. That's what I call a cluster set for bodybuilding. So you've done six reps and then another four and then another four. So you've done 14 reps. The original way you would do that is you would just do a set of eight. So with cluster training, that first set, you've got to leave a rep or two in the tank or you'll be completely fatigued on the second set. You can't complete the set the way I like to be completed, but you're getting more reps with the weight by doing the cluster set. So maybe you do that. Then the next time you do the cluster set again. Okay, well, I'm going to do my six. And then now instead of doing four, I'm going to do five reps. And then the last one, instead of doing three, I'm going to do four. So you can, if you're hyper analytical, you can still track the weight that you're using. Mm-hmm. You know, Or you could say, okay, I'm not going to wait 20 seconds. I'm going to wait 17 seconds this time. So I'm going to go slightly quicker, less rest. But really what you're looking for when you employ a technique like that, you're looking to take some, you're looking to, to just go to failure and then continue and get more reps. Um, you're just looking for a level of exhaustion that you don't normally reach in just one normal standard set of, say, eight reps. You're just taking it beyond that. Mm-hmm. And I love cluster sets. I love doing those. And I tell you, cluster sets produce a lot of soreness. So you've got to be careful with those. Like if I'm doing them in, say, a chest workout, I will do them probably as a set on the third exercise and then maybe on the fourth exercise, maybe. So it's only one or two, the whole workout I'm doing. I'm not saying, okay, I need three cluster sets here, three that, no, I'm saying only one or two is all you need. So you can be analytical and you can track that. But what I would tell you is I would tell you to get out of your own little bubble and try to turn yourself a little crazy. Try to say, I'm going to get a little crazy. How hard can I push? (laughs) Try to try to absorb some of that mentality, because when you absorb a little bit of that mentality to go with that analytical part of you, it's a great combination. It's a beautiful combination. 
So I would say get out of your comfort zone. Get a little crazy. Just go, you know what, man? I'm going to unleash on this set. I'm going to unleash. You know, my logbook says I did 10 reps. I'm going to do my 10 reps, but then I'm going to drop some weight and do another four. Then I'm going to drop some weight and do another four. You've added workload. You've added volume. You've added intensity. You've changed the parameters to push yourself. Um, so it's more the mindset. Like Being perfectly honest with you, I never tracked weight or reps on any cluster set or drop set I ever did in my entire life. But what I did do was I said, the goal of this is a new level of exhaustion. It's really pushing myself. So if I don't do that, then this is pointless. It's just pointless. It makes no sense at all. Now, I've had people, you know, as I traveled around, I've had people do these cluster sets with me, for example, you know. Um, you know, and a workout I do, like, here's what it would look like, like a leg workout. You know, I might do three or four sets of leg curls. And then I might do a really hard set to finish off the leg curls. And then I might, in the old days, I would squat. Then I might do a leg press. And then I might do my third exercise, set, go to the hack squat. Like, I'll do one warm-up set just to get the feel of the weight, and then I'll do my one cluster set. So it's just literally one set on that exercise. I've had guys do that with me, and they're like, man, this isn't much volume. And then then they'll do the set. And then we'll go to the fourth <laughs> exercise, and I'll say, okay, let's just do a set or two to find the right weight. Okay, now we'll do one cluster set. That's it. And they're like, really? That's it? And the next day, they're crippled. I'm like, you see this? Do you see how hard that stimulus is? you see that? So you got to be real careful about how you use them. But I can't tell you how many people who have done these workouts with me, and it might have been eight, ten sets total, and only two cluster sets. But the cluster sets, man, will it's a crazy way to train to improve your intensity. You just got to use it, you know, intelligently. So, you know, that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I know you're saying that you don't track things, but I think um, maybe one perspective to think about it is you sort of have um, you sort of measure things by fatigue in that you say, okay, I'm going to generate this amount of fatigue. And yeah. it's just, I mean, instead of talking on the usual RPE scale, you're probably like way off the chart at, at some points. Yeah, I call that, you know, the scale is one to 10, right? I call that a 13. <laughs> that's what, that's how I have. I actually write them up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. And then uh, something I was curious about, are, do what are your thoughts on sort of periodizing um, special techniques over time? Like, is, is there any uh, uh, structured way that to implement them? Well, you tell you what I used to do. I used to pick a high-intensity technique, and I used to do it for two weeks. So um, take legs, for example. Like, let's say I was doing two exercises where I would do a drop set. You know, maybe it's the leg curl and the leg press. So I would do two weeks of one drop set on the leg curl and one drop set on the leg press. And then the third week, I would switch to like a cluster set. So I would do one cluster set on the leg curls and one cluster set on the leg press, unless I rotated the exercises out. So I, um, I've i actually built programs where I would have two weeks of the special intensity technique and then I'd rotate to a new one. I do think those techniques are so hard and exhausting. I do think it's good to rotate them and do something different. Um, and you know, I find that the more advanced you get, the more you got to kind of rotate stuff. If you're a beginner, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. You don't even need to go to failure, actually. I would be focusing on form, technique, um, building your strength, which should be coming up just from alert neurological perspective. It should be coming up anyway. Um, and then as an intermediate, you know, start maybe putting in a few um, 
sets to failure on the right exercises, on safe exercises. And then as you get upper level, intermediate, advanced, now, now you can start doing some of this advanced stuff. So I don't, everything I'm saying, like, I just got to qualify and say, I don't have everybody trained that way. Like I would never have a beginner come into the gym and go, okay, now let's crank on some cluster sets. They wouldn't be able to walk for two weeks. Like that would be pointless. That's not a good approach. But, um, you know, as you get more advanced, then I think that's the stuff that actually really is what makes a difference. Because when you get advanced, you're not going to just keep getting stronger and stronger. At some point, you're going to reach, you know, your strength is going to kind of plateau at some point. It, it just is. There's no way around it. I don't care if you think you can put on one or two pounds on the bar every week. Eventually, at some point, you can't do that. Or else we would all bench 1,000 and squat 2,000. Um Especially me, I've trained 30-some years. So can you imagine if I just added two pounds a week? I'd be squatting 1,500 pounds, 2,000 pounds by now. Mm. So, you know, but as a beginner and as an intermediate, it should be a much more basic focused. Um, and that's where I really like the analytical stuff that you mentioned. I think the analytical stuff is really good for beginners and intermediates. It's really good. But then as you get advanced, it becomes more about intensity. And hopefully by that point, you've been analytical and you've, you, you, you know where you're at strength-wise. You know where you're at form-wise. You're pretty good about measuring your, exa- your exhaustion that you're talking about, your fatigue. Um, hopefully you've got a good grip on all that stuff. So now what becomes a difference maker is this, that high-intensity stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's really good that you put that qualifying statement in. I think, um, I think that's one of the biggest advantages we have now with social media I've found is that we have access to so many different opinions and I've really sort of been synthesizing this and you you realize that there are these different stages that you go through as an athlete and it's so interesting to sort of for for myself I'd say that even I'm maybe just just starting to enter that sort of advanced stage but it's interesting to sort of track my like progress along this journey and to see to see where I still have yet to go, um, and I think that it's really nice now that we have that the fact that we have access to so many opinions that people can really see where 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 to go at for different stages. And I think that yeah. sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of just trying to copy what what the the, the biggest most advanced guys are doing, but that's not always applicable. Yeah, I'm I'm very thankful for the era I grew up in. Um, because the first thing I had to learn was hard work. It wasn't how many sets can you do. It wasn't how, what's your training frequency. It was just how hard are you willing to work? And that should really be the foundation for everybody. So I'm glad that there wasn't social media back then, or I probably would have overthought it, but I'm glad the social media exists now because now you can really see the different perspectives and the nuances you know like for example me saying you need to go to failure well there's nuances of that how many sets of failure what exercises you know i mentioned squats earlier you want squat to failure that's probably not a good idea to squat until you drop the bar so there's a lot of nuances to that though you know um so i you know i i'll always i'll always be happy with my roots which is training as hard as you can possibly train but you're 100% right. There's so much good information out there. Now you can understand how to train hard, but do it intelligently. How can you train hard, but then recover for another session? And then you mentioned periodizing. So how long can you go training that hard? 
I can't do cluster sets and drop sets year round. I need time to back off. I need time to not, not take anything to failure. So now you understand you got to have these periods where you kind of step back a little bit. That's also important. There might be periods where you need to get out of the gym. I mean, just for mental reasons, not even physical, just for mental reasons to recharge. So you're right. There's so many smart people out there now. There's so many people out there that know 10 times more than I do. I appreciate all of them. And um, it's like I said earlier, it's just a good time in our industry now to be learning and growing. You know, um, it really is um, a good time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And going off what you just said, um, how do you how do you sort of implement then uh, these sort of lighter blocks of training? And what are your thoughts on just uh, maybe what people some people in the science community would, would call like maintenance phases? So bodybuilding is a little unique. You know, I've studied all the um, Tudor Bomba periodization and all these guys are kind of the legends of periodization, but they were dealing with athletes. They were dealing with weightlifters. They were, de they were dealing with powerlifters, a little different group than bodybuilders. You can plan that stuff pretty well with strength athletes, you know, with the blocks that you build. It's a little different with hypertrophy and, and building because, you know, you can get somebody going the right way and they feel really good. Um, in my opinion, in bodybuilding is you don't want to stop them. Like if somebody's doing awesome and they're growing, they're adding reps, they're doing great. You don't want to stop them. Let it ride. Let them continue to make progress and go. Whereas in like the powerlifting community, for example, you may say, okay, we had planned um, percentages that we're using. We had planned number of reps. Now, if you start exceeding that, you're going to blow the, the plan. And you might, you might, um, you might just exactly do that because it was built in a certain way to get you from point A to point B. And then all of a sudden you messed up that plan. I mean, bodybuilding is a little different. You may, then the other side of that is you may be three weeks in and it may be, um, you know, a six to eight week high intensity phase. You may be three weeks in, you may have finished three weeks and in the fourth week, you just feel like, man, I'm just, I don't have it in me. Like you feel weaker, you're not sleeping as well. Um, you know, all these classical signs of overreaching, you start to see them. So what I would say is, no, you don't go to the eight weeks, you, you back off a week. Okay, so it's more fluid. It's more auto-regulated, I guess, is the word people are using now. Mm -hmm. So, um, and what I like to do when I periodize is I generally will stop taking sets to failure. I'll take nothing to failure, no high-intensity techniques, and I'll pull back on the volume about 25%. Mm -hmm. So if they're doing, you know, uh, 15 sets uh, in a week for a body part, you know, I'm probably going to drop several of those sets. So, there's a little bit less volume and there's certainly less intensity. Usually when you do that in a week or two, boom, they're ready to roll again. Um, almost every time. That's all it takes. And then you have people that compete in bodybuilding. I don't compete anymore, but when you compete, you have this period of time up to a show where you go all out. Like you're training hard all out until the show. Then after the show, you know, I usually have people train a couple weeks easier um, because they all of a sudden are eating so much more, you know, then all of a sudden they want to eat and that's yeah. a good thing. Um, but then after that, it's like, okay, now take a break, get out of the gym. Um, Joe Rogan was, uh, had Ronnie Coleman on his podcast. I think it was yesterday, um, today or yesterday, but Ronnie Coleman was saying how after the Olympian September, he took October, November, December off. 
I used to, when I was really young, I was scared to take a week off. I thought, man, if I don't train for a week, I'm going to lose everything. <laughs> um, eventually, I got to where I would take a week off. A week off didn't really do me all that much good, though. After a show, man, like, you got to think about it. You're in a caloric deficit. You're doing high-intensity techniques. You're training. Like, you're going mad. Like, when people, after a show, train really hard the next week, I always question how hard they really were training to lead me up to the show. Like, I know how most of us feel in a caloric deficit, training our butts off. When that show's over, the last thing you want to do is go in and do a set of 20 reps on the squats. Like, you weren't going as hard as you're saying you were, um, you know, but, um, so then, you know, I, I, I talked to Chris Cormier once and he said, I take a month. And I was like, my mind was blown. Like you take a month and you don't lift weights at all. My mind was blown. So I eventually got up to where I could do two, two weeks off. And then I actually, at, the, at my peak, I could actually do three weeks off. So once a year, I would take three weeks off out of the gym. The first two weeks, you didn't even look any different. The third week, you could see you got a little smaller, you got a little softer. But then two weeks back into the gym, you look the same, like you come right back. Mm-hmm. So I tell people too, you know, you've got this active recuperation where you can just back off, just lower your intensity. But listen, don't be afraid to take a week or two off if you need to. You're, you're, that muscle memory is real. Like that, that exists. So just, I mean, look at me. I had a, a heart attack. 30 days ago. And, you know, I was in there, maybe I wasn't going super heavy today, but I was leg pressing six plates. Um, and it was light. So, you know, don't be afraid to take a week or two off, maybe once or twice a year, maybe three times a year, just depends on how hard you go. So there's a couple different approaches there. There's, and you know, I always had this thing too. Like I always said, if I'm going to take some time out of the gym, not even, it's not even just physical, it's mental. Like I want Mm -hmm to want to train hard. And I used to have this thing where I said, I'm not going back to the gym until I'm really ready to turn it on. And it would always be like the two week, three week is when it would happen. And I'd be like, I got to get in there. I got to go. Or I would be training kind of easy, you know, from my perspective, kind of easy. And then one day I'd be driving to the gym and something would click just boom, something will click. I'd be driving to Elite FTS to train with Dave and something will click. And I'd say, I'm ready, man, I'm ready to go. Let's go. So there's like a mental aspect of this too. Because if you don't want to train hard mentally, it's not there. It's really hard to force that every day. And most people just can't do that, especially if they train on their own. It's pretty much impossible. So you've got to have this balance of mental aggressiveness too. Like you want to, you want to want to go in there and go hard. Now, some days you won't want to, and that's okay, um, unless it turns into every day. If every day you're not into it, it's not, you need to change something. You need to back off, get up, probably get out of the gym completely. Um, so there's a couple different thoughts for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, really insightful. Um, sort of switching gears a little bit, uh, I want to ask, um, what would you say was your biggest training or training mistake? Is it say in your earlier career? Oh, easy. Thinking that soreness was meant progress. Oh yeah. I, I thought that the sore you got, the better the workout was. No, that was absolutely wrong. <laughs> that was absolutely incorrect. That'd easily be my number one mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, would you, what would you say is a, a mistake that's happened more recently? Um, 
more recently. Um, if anything, I mean. I'm pretty fine-tuned in my approach now. Um, I'm pretty good about I can get to just the right amount of intensity and still recover from it. Like, I know where that line is now for me. And it's changing as I get older. I don't recover. Like I said, I'm 48 now. I don't recover the way I did when I was 40. Um, I notice a drop off in strength literally the, my birthday when I turned 43. Like when I was 43, I was inclining 315 for sets of 10, 12 reps. And literally when I turned 43, I could only get like six reps with it. And then six months later, I could only do like four reps with it. Um, and that happened to me on squats too. I was, when I turned 40, I could still do 405 for 20 reps, pretty solid. Um, and then all of a sudden it just felt so heavy on my back. When I was 41, it felt so heavy on my back. I just couldn't handle it anymore. Um, I couldn't get the weight. I couldn't do the reps. I actually got my legs. I continued to grow my legs though. I just couldn't squat. But, um, you know, I think what happens to a lot of people is they get married to these exercises and it's a kick to your ego. Like I wanted, I love squatting so much, man. I took so yeah. much pride in squatting. And then when I couldn't do it anymore, I mean, for probably two years, man, it was depressing. I was like, man, I can't do my favorite exercise. And then my incline became my favorite exercise. Like I love incline barbells. And now I can't do that real heavy. You know, before I went into the hospital, I was doing maybe 275 or eight reps. But um, I think a lot of people, they just force it. You know, like if your your back is messed up, you just keep trying to squat anyway. Or if your shoulders are messed up, you keep doing heavy benches anyway. I see a lot of stubborn guys like that, and they all end up in the same place. They end up on a surgery table. They all end up on a surgery table. Um mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys I know right now that love posting their heavy stuff on Instagram. Um, yeah. But I know what's going on in the background, and I know that it's only a matter of time until they have to get surgery because they just don't know how to switch exercises or back off. And that's one of the keys to longevity. It's knowing when to change your mindset. You know, people – you know, I look at, like, um, Ronnie Coleman and Dorian Yates, certainly tremendous champions – and I think both those guys could have squeezed out another, probably two Mr. Olympias if they adjusted their training. And Dorian, I talked to Dorian, and Dorian even said, I wish I would have adjusted my training when I was dieting, you know, because that's when he tore his, his bicep. That's when he tore his uh, tricep. He had a hip problem. And he said it in magazines. He said it to me. He said, I just wish I would have changed my s- style when I was dieting, when I got lean. You know, and if you hear Ronnie talk, you know, he'll say I wouldn't change a thing. But, you know, it's easy for me to say. Um, but I think if he would have just changed some of his heavy stuff, changed out the exercises, he probably could have squeezed out another couple of Olympias. But it's hard, you know. You do something that's worked for you for so long. It's put you to the top of the hill. And then for you to kind of think, okay, I need to make some adjustments. Not many people can do that. You know, most people are like, I'm going to do with what got I'm going to go with what got me here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but your body's different now than what it was. You know, if I went right now, if I said, I'm going to go with what got me here, and if I went back to training like I did when I was 30, I'd be in a freaking hospital in, in a week. Um, I'd have yeah. five tears. I'd have rhabdo. I would be destroyed. 
You know, I would be totally destroyed. Sometimes you got to set your ego aside and say, I need to make some changes, you know, if you care about longevity, which I do. I care a lot about longevity. So, you know, that's the, that's the thing I would say is I've been pretty good about and when I know I shouldn't go down a road. I've been pretty good about changing and going down a different road because I don't want to be end up. I don't want to end up like one of these guys that can't move. You know, I don't want to do that. I got two 11 year old kids. I love playing football with them. I love playing basketball with them. I love being active with them. I do plyometrics with them. So I want to be able to move, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, just taking a listener question here, um, they, they're asking, what would you, what would be your biggest piece of advice to natural lifters? Just sort of zooming out. I mean, we've talked a lot, a lot of, about a lot of things today already, but. Incredible, incredible consistency not missing meals, not missing workouts, and um, and really trying to push yourself. Um, be strategic about it. Be smart about it. But try to really push yourself. Um, don't don't think to yourself, I'm natural, so I can't do, do anything. Like, that's a defeated mindset. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about my history. Like, when I was a teenager, I was very, very anti-gear. And the education back then in the 80s and 90s wasn't like it is now. Um, and I just thought, you know, if you take something, like, you're going to die. Like, if you take a shot of testosterone, then there's a chance you might die the next day. You know, I, I was just stupid. I didn't I didn't know any different. Um, I was very anti-gear. Um, I didn't, in my mind, there was no difference, though, in training. Like, I'm going to go balls out as hard as I can. Never in my mind did I say... Well, I need to be on gear to do that. Like it never even occurred to me. Mm-hmm. It was, I'm going to, I exp, I have really high expect, And it was kind of like ignorance is bliss. I didn't know any better. So I just thought I can train like anybody else, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did because I was able to do really well training natural mm-hmm. really well. Um, you know, I was the best teenager in the state here. Um, you know, I competed against guys that were loaded, that competed in the Teenage Nationals, and I beat them all. I didn't have that limiting mindset that, well, I'm natural. I didn't care. I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm going to go balls out hard. So be consistent. Um, don't miss your meals. But, man, push yourself. That's the biggest thing I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, really good advice. And I think um, sometimes it's easy for people to uh, misinterpret, I guess, the messages people give. And sometimes even, for example, someone's talking about, um, you know, in the cases where people do advocate staying just a little shy from failure and they're saying, well, we'll go for an RPE-8. I mean, if you're doing an RPE-8 on leg presses in like a higher rep range, say like 15 to 20 reps, that is that is actually brutal. Yeah, that's and, hard. Uh, yeah, like that's people, hard, that, people don't. That's a always, legit uh, work set. That's a yeah. legit work set. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. yeah, you don't need to go to failure in everything you do. Like, if you watch my videos, the last exercise I do, the last set of most exercises I do, I'll take to failure. But I won't even do that on a squat or a bench. I don't take those to failure. Like, if I'm doing a dumbbell press, I can take that to failure because there's no risk of injury. I just go to failure and I drop the weight. If I'm doing a machine fly. I can do that to failure. There's no risk of getting injured. I just go to failure and I stop. So, um, you know, but, you, but to say that you got to go to failure is that's also misleading to people because like doing 
certain exercises or doing all your sets of failure is a good way to hurt yourself too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, just um, wrapping up a little bit here. Um, what are, what are, I just wanted to ask you, what are your current priorities in terms of like your business and social media and that kind of thing? Well, I was really excited with where the, with where the YouTube was headed. Um, my YouTube was growing really, really fast. Yeah. And then when the quarantine hit, it kind of killed it, you know, because a lot of what I do is in the gym, but I didn't want to keep going to the gym. Well, first of all, the gym was closed, but um, I didn't have the gym stuff to share with people. And I mean, I could push the issue and probably get into a gym here. I mean, I'm sure I could have done that, but I didn't want to put up videos in a gym knowing that nobody else could go to the gym. I thought that would just be disrespectful to people. So I'm just now starting to do stuff in the gym again because gyms are opening back up. But um, my YouTube was actually a really big priority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were doing five videos a week, you know, for three years straight, actually. Uh, now it's starting to pick back up. So I've got all these cool videos. I've still got videos with Jeff Nippert I haven't posted. And he's got videos that he hasn't posted where oh, yeah. we made them right before the quarantine. Juji Mufu, we have some videos we did together. I had, and I had all kinds of stuff cooking and then that quarantine hit so my youtube is still a is still a big deal to me um i'm still building training programs i just launched a beginner and intermediate program about two weeks ago um which is the first time i've actually launched a beginner and intermediate program but the people on youtube are the ones that convinced me to do it some mm-hmm. of the some of the people there are just like i just can't handle your high intensity stuff get it i totally get it well let me take care of you guys too so I'm still building training programs. Um, I'm still coaching people. I, although I keep the numbers way down, I think I maybe only have 30 clients now. I like to keep that number down. Um, I'm coaching football uh, this year, so here in about a month, football prep will start. Uh, what else are we doing? Um, I think that's about it. I mean, I still have my website. I have a cell phone app for people to ask me questions. Um, I'm, I'm very, very, Granite Supplements is doing really well. My supplement company, um, we took a nosedive, um, when the quarantine hit, but this month we're bouncing back. We're, we're actually bouncing back real nice. We've got a lot of new products coming out. Mm -hmm. I'm super proud of our protein powder. I've, I've never, I don't know of anybody who's, um, taken it and had even an upset stomach and upset stomachs are something that you get from almost any protein powder nowadays. So. I build it with digestive enzymes and all kinds of good stuff. So, um, so everything's going well. Um, my main priority, honestly, is just my kids and my family. That's number one. Um, and then the business stuff is number two. So, you know, that's pretty much it. Yeah, no, that's great. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be linking, uh, John's channel and uh, website in the show notes below. So you guys can check them out and just wanted to say thanks so much as we're wrapping up here, John. Yeah, it's really you good bet. to have you on the podcast. You bet. I enjoyed it. That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, give me a five-star rating, and leave me a review. My primary platform is YouTube, so if you'd like to see video content by me, you can find my YouTube channel if you search Ask Dr. Swole. See you next time.